The first thing is First Thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR, where Michigan comes to talk. All right, Renee. <laughs> Jason, I'm going to need you both to dig down deep this morning and, and, and carry me. Your boy... <laughs> Your boy's not at full strength this morning. What's wrong, Petunia? <laughs> uh, um, well, I got to go uh, this morning and and to turn my head and cough, oh. and that's not that's not the issue. Um, you know, it's my corporate mandated physical, which I uh, which I I don't know if you're familiar with the American healthcare system, but I have to schedule my physicals like seven eight months in advance for some reason. Oh yeah. And, and so I scheduled this back when we were working afternoons. Uh, so I have had nothing but black coffee. And so I, I've had no breakfast. I've had none of my vitamin supplements that wake me up in the morning. So um, a little bit about me. If I have too much caffeine and no food, I start to get very loopy. So, so you're you fasting. Guys, yeah. Mm. So if I start talking nonsense or speaking in tongues uh jason i'm gonna need you to turn my mic off and you're gonna have to uh jump in and co-host the rest of the show with renee okay See, i think i think uh the coffee's gonna go a long way it should that helps i think so yeah well and here's the thing what i love about the internet whatever you're trying to give yourself permission to do you will find it i googled can you have black coffee while you're fasting for blood work the first result said, yes, you can. The second result said, no, you can't. So I went with the first result that said, yes, uh, yes, you can. Always go with the are. first. That's right. Always. You'll be all yeah. right. Because no matter what you look up on the Internet, you're going to get yes, no, and a lot of in between. Right. And also WebMD says I'm dying. So uh, yes. I, all, I love yes. you all. I love you all. <laughs> all right. hey, well, we're dying too. That I mean, so, you know. Well, yeah, I guess it's uh, I guess it's just a race to wait each other out. Yes. That's right. Anyway, with that pleasant thought, um, <laughs> here's what you need to know. First thing, uh, special counsel Jack Smith, he is asking the Supreme Court to decide whether or not Donald Trump has any immunity from prosecution for crimes that he allegedly committed while in office. Smith is breaking protocol. He's asking the Supreme Court to skip the usual step of a federal appeals court and for them to rule on U.S. District Judges Tanya Chutkin's ruling that the former president is not immune from prosecution for trying to subvert the 2020 election. Allegedly, Trump's defense has claimed uh, presidential immunity and that uh, President, former President Trump, he's protected by double jeopardy since he was acquitted by the Senate during his impeachment trial. And uh, I'm not sure Prosecutor Smith is going to get a favorable outcome from a 6-3 majority Supreme Court. But my question here, Renee, is this sort of like a low-key admission? It's sort of like back when, uh, remember when OJ wrote that book, If I Did It? Donald Trump, say, Donald Trump is saying, uh, I didn't commit any crimes while while president. I, but if I uh, go ahead, yeah, no, that was my that was my take on it. Yeah, that's how I took this. It was an admission. <laughs> I, I wasn't speeding, uh, but if I was speeding, I'm immune because I'm the mayor or whatever. Right. <laughs> that's exactly how I took this. But I, honestly, I think Jack Smith should have done this a long time ago because there's been a lot of back and forth and and a lot of games being played and a lot of BS. He just he's just cutting right to the chase. And like I said, uh, this is a very Trump friendly Supreme Court. Uh -huh. He appointed I think he appointed at least 
three of them. Uh, but but at least, it, you know, at, at least he's he's trying to go through through the, the protocol and going up to the highest court in the land. Well, and it'll save a lot of time and hassle. <laughs> right. <laughs> They'll just say, oh, he did nothing wrong. Right. Supreme Court ruled on it. Right. Uh, Governor Whitmer, she made a uh, she made a big move yesterday. Yeah, she signed the last bill of the Reproductive Health Act into law Monday. The signing reversed the state's requirement to buy separate riders in order to obtain abortion insurance. The ban, which was passed 10 years ago, had been criticized as rape insurance. Whitmer said 10 years ago today, I was in the Michigan Senate fighting against an unconscionable anti-choice bill that would have forced Michiganders to pay extra for insurance every month just in case they were raped or had an unwanted pregnancy. I shared my own story as a survivor of sexual assault and noted that any decision about a woman's body ought to be hers alone. Uh, exactly 10 years later, I am proud to be repealing that same bill as governor. Last month, the governor signed legislation preserving abortion access in Michigan while eliminating a 1931 law that would have handed down punishments to caregivers who offered medicated abortions. The RHA also strikes out the state's trap laws, which officials say were passed to close down abortion clinics. Yeah, and th- this insurance rider, I-, I guess it wasn't specifically meant to be rape insurance. It was, um, it-, it was put forth by a bunch of people who who a um, hated Obamacare and and, right. and and were trying to throw up any obstacle to negate Obamacare. Um, and it was a bunch of people who were pro-life and didn't want to pay for other people's abortions. However, the law of unintended consequences, that could be one of that could be one of the outcomes where a woman uh, who was sexually assaulted and um, it, it, re- it resulted in a pregnancy, she'd be out of luck if she didn't have this insurance rider. So that's how it got the, the rape insurance moniker. And um, you know, speaking of, of Governor Whitmer speaking out about this 10 years ago, um, someone reposted this viral video of her back when she was in the state legislature. Um, and, and this really kind of launched her onto the national stage or, or at least to prominence here in Michigan um, when she was on the floor and she actually shared her her story of her own rape. Right. And when she was speaking out about, yeah, about this, that really did put her in the spotlight. Now, it didn't move her Republican colleagues in the legislature because obviously they still they they obviously still passed it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a very moving, very emotional speech. And, um, you know, she's very vulnerable. We we know Governor Whitmer is kind of like the you know, this 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 strong, no nonsense governor we see today. So it was uh, it was it was very um, compelling to see her be both so strong and so vulnerable in that speech on the uh, on the floor uh, a, a, a good friend of mine who is very pro-life asked me to sign this petition uh, a year or two before it actually passed before anyone um, you know said rape insurance and I said I understand you don't want to pay for people's abortions I said but I feel like this is going to have some really bad consequences and then once <laughs> once it passed and people were calling it rape insurance I'm like I am glad I, my name is not on that petition yeah. because because I knew I I I I I knew this person's heart was in the right place but but overall it was uh uh I wouldn't say nefarious but it 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 wasn't to me, I don't. I didn't feel it was in the best interest of everyone in this. State. Again, it's not black and white. We can't just call it rape insurance. We have to understand why. Uh, yeah, you know, wh- but wh- 
what we're doing here with this. But yeah, right. And 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 the thing is, I guess when it came down to it, I didn't want someone who was in that position to have to pay more than than anybody else um, to have to worry about paying for something out of pocket after they went through something so heinous and and, and tragic. Right. And, and that's kind of where I came down on it. Right. Uh, President Vladimir Zelensky, he will meet with Joe Biden and members of Congress today, hoping to end the gridlock over more funding for Ukraine. Republicans have not been willing to vote for additional money for Ukraine in the war against Russia without trying uh, without tying it to more funding to the southern border. Excuse me. And I get it. The border is a mess and it needs to be secured. But what do these members of Congress think is going to happen if we stop helping Ukraine and Russia? runs roughshod over the region. I mean, eventually they're going to be at NATO's doorstep. Poland is right next door. And if they attack a NATO country, the, the United States have to has to get involved militarily. It's part of the agreement. So instead of just sending money over to Ukraine and letting them hold Russia off at bay before they even get to NATO's doorstep, now you know, if they if they attack Poland or someone else, now we have to send our kids off to fight and die. Right. And we're sending money when we could have just sent money. So I think this is I I, I think it's very short sighted to um, try to um, cut funding to Ukraine in hopes of getting more funding for the southern border. But it gets political points. Um just five days after Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard announced the Southeast Michigan collaborate, arrest, and prosecute for SEMCAP task force, six people have been charged in connection with robberies at high-end stores and homes committed by a highly trained, highly organized uh, Chilean crime gang. And uh, I, this 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 sounds like a plot for like a Netflix series or something, Renee. This is nuts. I, I'm trying to understand why this area specifically was targeted. Is it because it's well known that, you know, this is one of the wealthiest areas? Uh, I, I think so. It, um, I, I mean, it's no secret that Oakland County is one of the wealthiest areas. But why specifically here? It's just so bizarre. Well, and it also makes me wonder if this is happening in other affluent areas around the country. I know that uh, there are certain homes they hit, homes that are a little more secluded, homes that have like shrubs I mean, around. This sounds like something stuff. that happens in the Hamptons or but why right. here? Right. You can't you can keep that high end burglary <laughs> crap in the Hamptons and I, leave us be. It's just weird. It really is. It, 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 it's like a movie. All right, uh, we have to take a quick break. It's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. We were telling you yesterday about Kate Cox, the 31-year-old Dallas woman and mother of two had who had access to an abortion blocked by the Texas Supreme Court after her unborn baby received a fatal diagnosis. Well, she's actually leaving Texas to get the medical procedure done. Nancy Northrup, she's president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, uh, she said in a statement, this past week of legal limbo has been hellish for Kate. Her health is on the line. She's been in and out of the emergency room. She couldn't wait any longer. Uh, to be accurate, the Supreme Court of Texas, they blocked the decision while they deliberated whether or not they felt like uh, Cox's uh, case rose to the level of woman of the mother's health and life being in danger. They may have possibly ruled in her favor. Um, of her having the abortion, but by then it might have been too late. Details of Cox's abortion are being kept secret for her safety and the safety of the medical personnel performing it. 
And uh, again, Renee, we talked about this yesterday. This wasn't a woman looking to terminate a viable pregnancy. She has two kids. She wants more kids in the future. The baby is already dead or was going to die um, before childbirth. And she was going to face some horrible medical repercussions. Uh, this, this, this was not an elective abortion. This was, this is a medical procedure that, uh, she is being blocked from having again, not by doctors, but by judges. This is a woman doing what she needs to do. This is, it doesn't matter. This is a person doing what they need to do for their, the safety of themselves, her health period. And she doesn't have time to waste. She has to do what she needs to do. I mean, I see this as akin to somebody having an appendix that's about to burst. And if you're that's a great analogy. Burst, yeah. And a judge saying, no, no, no. Well, we need to protect the life of the appendix that uh, is going to kill you. Um, and a judge coming into the operating room and saying, you can't do it. Hang on. Just hang on. Hang on a little longer. When? How long? Uh, hold on. No. Right. And, and like I said, eventually what's going to happen is something like this is is, is going to happen again and again. And a woman is going to die because she's going to uh, not get uh, a life saving medical procedure done in enough time. Right. And she's and she's going to pass away. And it's going to, as you said yesterday, it's going to be on the, the hands of the judges and attorney general uh, Ken Paxson. Right. Ken Paxson, how long am I supposed to wait? Hey, hang on. Uh, are you a doctor, sir? How long am I supposed to hang on? I don't know. Hang on, though. We have to get this through the courts. And look, if I'm a woman, I'm afraid to live in Texas. If you have women in your life who you love, that you want to be able to have life-saving medical procedures or surgery without you know, being blocked by, by an activist uh, attorney general or activist Supreme Court, I'm worried to live in texas i, I, mean, I will was, never visit texas i will never set foot in texas i will tell you that as a woman <laughs> i mean yeah I, I mean it's scary and and like we said yesterday it doesn't matter where you fall on the abortion debate this is not a woman deciding she doesn't want to keep the baby she yeah. wanted to have this baby right she she is planning on having more children in the future if she keeps this pregnancy going at best, she might face fertility problems in the future. Right. At worst, the unthinkable might happen. This, not only this is a woman that could die if she carries this woman, th carries this baby. This isn't just, you know, the safety of or this isn't just a woman who could, you know, lose the baby. And, oh, well, that's what happened. I, I wasn't able to continue carrying this baby. This she could die. You know, this is her health as well. So then what happens? So now there's a woman who passes away and isn't able to be there for her other two young children. Yep. This is her health as well. This is a woman that can't be there down the road, potentially, for her other two children. This isn't just the baby that she's carrying that we're talking about. This is a woman that may not be able to be there in the future for her two other young children. I, I, as a female, I'd be afraid to live in Texas and get a hangnail. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it, and look, Nancy Northrop, she, she came out. This woman has been in and out of the emergency room. And I think that any one of us, wherever you stand on this debate, if we were in her position, if we were in her husband's position, and 
doctors are saying you have to have this done. And the state is telling you, you cannot have this done until a bunch of judges with no medical training deem it necessary. I think any one of us would do the same thing and leave the state and get this, get this done and get this over with. I mean, Kate Cox did not ask to be a a national news story. Kate Cox did not ask to even have an abortion at the beginning of this pregnancy. She wanted to carry this to term she cannot do it medically this isn't a woman who had an oopsie daisy wild night out this is something completely different rod texted in and said this is not an abortion it's a premature birth leading to a death of a fetus reframe rename the procedure you know and that's a great point rod um because i maybe maybe calling it an abortion and, and look i i I don't know, because here's the thing. Maybe maybe calling it an abortion is is not the best idea when it comes to a from a PR standpoint. Um, calling it something different might make it a little bit more more palatable to, to people who are staunchly against abortion, because Rod's right. This 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 is not an abortion. She's not terminating a pregnancy. She is. She is ending a situation that could be medically dangerous to her. So, yeah, maybe it may, I, I, I hate I, I hate to have to rename it because if if a doctor if a doctor says a woman has to get something done, then you just trust the doctor. But but, yeah, maybe it's just easier um, from a public relations standpoint and and uh, path of least resistance standpoint to just call it something else. Right. Anyway, um, hopefully, yeah, Kate Scott, uh, Kate Cox, you know, good luck on your procedure, and and we 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 wish you healing, and and hopefully you and your family and can get on with journey. your journey. Yeah, exactly. So, um, closer to home, uh, Renee. This is another terrible. I guess this is the terrible news segment of the show. I know. Brought to you by Five Hour Energy. Um, <laughs> an Allen Park juvenile has been charged with aiding suicide. Uh, which is a felony and a misdemeanor charge of harassment causing death after he convinced another child from Houston to, to uh, kill himself. Police were called to the Texas child's home in early 2023 on reports of a suicide. When they discovered him, he was wearing a headset and he appeared to be online gaming when he died. Now, after a lengthy multi-state investigation, police arrested the juvenile from Allen Park who pled guilty to the charges last week. And, uh, I mean, when when we were juveniles, Renee, what you what you said and you did on the Internet was kind of not real life. Right. Like we grew up in the 56K dial up era where we're going on the Internet is something you did for an hour or two. And then you, you, you turned it off and went on with your um, with your everyday life. But now, I mean, the Internet with social media, everything, it's so ingrained into our life that mm-hmm. what you say and do online has just as much impact as if you would say or do it in person to somebody's face. Uh, this is just the ultimate form of cyberbullying. That's what this is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we're hearing more and more stories about kids being driven to suicide by online interactions. We we heard about this rash of terrible stories where you get these scammers. They, they target teenage boys, um, you know, with hormones raging and they poses teenage girls and they start flirting with them and they get these teenage boys to send them compromising pictures. Yep. And then they say, give us money or we're going to send this to everyone, you know, 
And some sometimes the kids have the money to pay it. Sometimes they don't. But even if they do pay it, it's not enough. Right. And uh, and and they they keep asking for more and more money. And and there have been um, young men who have killed themselves over this. So yeah. um, this is very very serious, and they they need to be uh, prosecuted to the full extent of the law. What a disturbing story. Yeah. All right. Um, we have to take a quick break. It's first thing. Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, and WJR. All right, so uh, we're going to take attendance here. It's first thing heading into JR Morning. Uh, um, in studio, uh, Guy Gordon, uh, are you president accounted for? Here. <laughs> uh, Lloyd Jackson, Lloyd, are you back? I, I said yesterday you'd be back today without checking. So, yes, uh, hopefully, I'm okay, here. Phew. All right, my credibility, whatever's left of it, is still intact. Uh, and uh, let's see, I'm looking all over for Jamie Edmonds. Uh, I don't see her in studio. Uh, Jamie, are you around here somewhere? I am not around you. No, I'm in Mount Pleasant at the Soaring Ooh. Eagle Casino. She's taking her virus on the road. <laughs> what? That's Spreading a long way cheer. to go to quarantine. Yeah. I feel fine. If I don't sound fine, I feel fine, guys. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. Um, uh, is there, uh, is, is there a, uh, contact tracing I need to know about or just a normal, uh, cold, <laughs> just a normal cold. I've had it for since last week and I, you know, just can't shake it, but I feel totally fine. And I got this from my baby. So yeah, thanks yeah. Olivia. So wow. you're losing the symptoms of your cold and a small amount of cash. Yes, a little bit. <laughs> well, I came up here. The reason I'm here is because we did the sports book. Steve Courtney and I last night from Soaring Eagle, they sponsor our sports book show. And yes, I put a couple uh, dollars in the slot machine. It didn't go well for me. And then I went to sleep. <laughs> Nothing like uh, hitting uh, black on red on blackjack wouldn't wouldn't fix I, I i don't know if any of that makes sense i'm not a gambler not but at all th- right. <laughs> not at all thanks renee <laughs> <laughs> nothing a, a little jackpot at the slots can't make you you feel better about well, well okay good to know after the show i'll head there next a, a, yeah. little, a little therapy just keep oh. feeding the machines till you win the next one the, the next one's the lucky one i can that's feel right it. the one on the end <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I that's why I don't gamble because I'm always afraid I'm going to spend so much time at the slot machine. And then as soon as I walk away, the next person who sits down is going to hit that jackpot. And it's just a, it's just a spiral. Well, my wife, you know, won't if if I and I don't, I'm not a big gambler, but you know, if we go to Vegas or whatever and I put some money in the in the slot machine, if I'm uh, if I break even. She pulls me away. She said, "All right, that's enough. Cash out." Well, Goodbye. that's smart. That's, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, but, but that's you not know, fun. No. She was like, "That's exactly Jamie," but she was like, "Nope, you they, broke even." Cash did out. they have the Willy Wonka machine there, Jamie? Not that I saw. I went straight for the Wheel of Fortune machine, and that was the unlucky. That was my mistake. <laughs> do you get a you golden ticket or candy bar? Uh, you, do. That? you do. They have like the golden ticket bonus and then they have the, they, yeah, they have all the, it, it's total nostalgia. I had to be pulled away because I got caught up in it and it, it did not end well. So I advise that you stay away from it if you do find it, Jamie. It did okay. not fare well for me stay last away time. from the Willy okay, yes. fair. <laughs> You know, I, uh, I, I went to Las Vegas one time in college and I remember I wanted to go get myself a, a, a slice of pizza and I was sitting up in my hotel room. And I said, I'll walk, I'll walk next door to get a slice of pizza. So on the way down, I, 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 I stop at a, a couple machines. Um, 
and uh, you know, I, I I go sit and and play a hand of poker, and then 20 minutes later, I'm walking back to my hotel room, uh, fifty dollars poorer, eating a slice of pizza, and I said, you know what? Maybe this is not maybe this is not the hobby for me. <laughs> uh, so the year of uh, Barbenheimer. Uh, continues uh, the Golden Globe nominations. They've been released. The Barbie movie leads the pack with nine nominations. Oppenheimer with eight. Um, I don't know if everyone saw both movies or not. Um, and and if so, which ones did you guys think was be- were better? I didn't see either one, so I'm yeah. sorry. Same. I haven't yeah. seen either one either. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, it, when when we're when we're locked into our homes because of six foot snow drifts then i'll be able to sit yeah, there yeah and watch exactly yeah. <laughs> mike you saw well, both then. of them though right yeah i i saw i saw both of them and i i i i i think they're both deserving of uh but the thing is i see like five movies a year so <laughs> it's very small sample but, but mike let me ask you this do you think that because i i never thought that uh barbie would be up for a nomination <laughs> for, do yeah. you think it's do you think that it's up because it's been a slow year or do you think that Barbie's up for so many nominations because of the nostalgia? I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, it was it was a genuinely funny movie. Um, but uh, it, it, and the thing is, it, it it was a somewhat smart movie. It wasn't it, it wasn't like a, a stupid airhead movie. Um, but I mean, man, Barbenheimer, whether you saw it or not, I mean, this thing this thing was a phenomena. And can, can it, we just it, tell it, Hollywood though that more is not better? Three and a half hours does not make a movie oh better. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly why I didn't go see both in one sitting because um, oh, I get way day. too much. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be yeah. you'll be in the theater half the day. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know if people wore diapers or or if they <laughs> <laughs> because that's a long time to sit. And if you get the jumbo, you get the jumbo soda, you're in a world of hurt. Okay, if that's JR what people Moore, are doing. You need to reevaluate. Uh, right. Chair <laughs> more coming up. The Oxford High School shooter was sentenced to life in prison without parole as a juvenile last week with his parents facing trials for their own manslaughter charges in January. Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald put him behind bars and she talks about the case with Guy and Jamie on JR Morning. For the families of Oxford, it turns a page, it closes a chapter, uh, and it was gut-wrenching testimony that we heard. But in the end, the shooter got what he asked for. Full responsibility and full accountability as Judge Kwame Rowe gave him life without parole. Uh, we're joined by the Oakland County Prosecutor, Karen McDonald. And I know technically it, it is a victory for the prosecution. You got the sentence you were seeking, but I, I'm sure there is no sense of, of victory that comes with this, Karen. Good morning. Uh, no, there there isn't. There wasn't a celebration. Um, it's it, it, we really don't approach these things like a win or a loss. Um, I, I think the most meaningful thing that occurred on Friday was the ability to give voices to representing hundreds of victims um, on that day. And yes, it, it was some of the most gut-wrenching testimony I've ever heard. Uh, prosecutor, when Ethan Crumbly spoke, he, he took full accountability and said it was only him that did this what does this mean for his parents case or if anything parents case but i 
Um, I will say that his statements based on my interactions and, and communications with the victims after didn't really give them much peace. So um, I, I really, as much as that sentence was what we asked for, which was, you know, a, a complicated, hard decision to make that we made, you know, after many months of fact finding and all the information possible, um, you know, of course we're we're pleased that that the court um, also agreed with with what we asked him to do, and and I think, you know, I was impressed with his thoughtfulness. Um, that day really for, for my team really was about the victims and not just the, the victims who lost children in that school that day or were injured, but all of those students because of the terrorism charge had an ability to speak for the first time in the country in a school shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there was a terrorism conviction. And, you know, I think we've lost, uh, we've lost sight about how important that is because if you listened to all of those kids who got up there and, you know, they, 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 they won't recover. And there, there aren't any physical injury injuries to, to show where, how they've been injured, but the data also supports that as well. You know, we, we the, the staggering number of students who have been in schools where there was an active shooter uh, and the, the trauma that they carry forward for the rest of their lives, it's time that as a, as a county and a state and a country, we pay attention to that. You say you were impressed with his thoughtfulness. Do you think that regret that he expressed in his repentance, do you think that that was genuine? I was not impressed with the shooter's thoughtfulness. I want to make it really clear. Okay. I was referring to the judge. The judge's thoughtfulness. Um, I, I yes. apologize. Yes. I want to make that very clear. Um, I, I'm not impressed with anything the shooter has done and, and my opinion about the case and what was in the best interest of everybody um, did not change based on anything he said. Um, the judge, I think, though, sat through all of the testimony in the Miller hearing, which was also just very heavy and, and gut-wrenching, um, but also stayed completely focused on, on those victims. And when he read his opinion, it was very clear that he he spent a lot of time looking at 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 all of the facts in the case, and um, you know, listen, nobody is going to to take away any of the pain and trauma. It's impossible. We we do as much as we can, but but part people who've been doing this for a long time will tell you, mm -hmm. even in terrible homicide cases when you achieve this result that you know is the right thing and, and that's what victims want to seek justice, there isn't this overwhelming um, experience of gratitude and peace after there just isn't because if the bottom line is they're still going home and they don't have their kids mm -hmm. right. or they're still walking out of there and they still have those injuries. So I never ever allow myself or anyone around me to lose sight of the fact that, we aren't, we are not fixing things. We are not making their pain go away, but to be seen and to be heard and to know that as complicated and difficult as it is, the justice system did the right thing. 
even though no one wants to see a juvenile sentenced to life without parole, I, no one really wants to say um, that human beings can't be rehabilitated, but there was just more than that, than just that consideration. Right. And you just can't ignore it when you sit and you listen to, to those stories, which, you know, we've been listening to for two years. Um, and it, it's, it's also fascinating how, how everyone's journey is different. Um, kids that we spoke to a year ago uh, showed up and had different things to say because trauma doesn't look the same for everyone. Uh, Prosecutor McDonald, the parents' trials begin in January. Is that correct? That's correct. And do you believe that, not, I won't say successful, but there will be convictions there? You know, I'm, if there's, a, there's a gag order in place. I'm not allowed to, oh, um, okay. in which I think is the right thing. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, in every case we charge, um, we do not charge cases that we, or, or prosecute cases um, that, that we think, for any reason other than we believe there's probable cause. Um, and so I'll just leave it at that. Darren McDonald, uh, I think all of us that listen to those parents and the kids testify just hope that they can find peace. They're going to need help to do that if it is even within the, the, the realm of possibility. Are they getting the resources that they need to to get the help they need? Well, you know, that's a great question. I Something I did not consider in any of the decisions about charging is, you know, what the implications of charging terrorism um, would would reveal, which is because it was a terrorism charge, we had the ability to um, connect with the Department of Justice and receive a lot of funding for all of these victims uh, that uh, we otherwise would not have. There's a resiliency center in Oxford. There is so much outreach. Every single victim that I've talked to in two years, if they have a need, Whatever it is that has not been addressed, the very first thing I do is connect our victim advocate office and also anyone anyone outside that I know um, so that we can provide those those services. And some of it is intense therapy and and sometimes it's it's things, you know, it's it's monetary in nature. I mean, there was a whole lot of things that had to occur to make that happen on Friday. Right. Um and it's something that we've never done before. It's something that I don't think it's done been done in the state before, um, uh, with the exception of the Larry Nassar prosecution dealing with that many victims. No, and if, I mean, but what we did see uh, was incredible courage and incredible resiliency and a level of love of their children, even though they are no longer with them, and and it's and also care for the community. Uh, Karen McDonald, um, thanks so much for speaking. I know that you're restricted to some degree, but um, thanks for sharing your thoughts on all of this. You're very welcome. All right.